You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning. Good to see each of you here as we kick off a brand new series called Trainwreck. And hopefully this will make more sense to you than just the carnage you just saw on the screen. As a kid growing up in Iowa, I grew up right outside of Des Moines, and we made a number of trips to a place called Riverview Park, which was an amusement park that was there in the Des Moines area. And it was a typical amusement park. It had... uh, you know, the roller coaster, Ferris wheel, carousel, it had bumper cars, it had a tunnel of love. And it also had this uh, miniature train that made a loop all the way around the park. While I was there, there's the train right there. While I was there, uh, on one specific trip, there was a friend of mine, that we were both talking about how cool it would be if we piled up gravel on the railroad tracks of the miniature train. See, our thinking was that when the train went over the tracks, it would, it would make it go over a bump. And we thought it would be funny to see each one of the cars kind of go over the bump. Well, we piled up the, the gravel on the tracks, and then we waited right there by our little, little mounds of gravel. And we watched as the train started approaching. Well, the engineer on the miniature train realized what we had done. And he climbs to the front of this little engine, and he sits on the very front of, the, of the, the locomotive and puts his feet on the tracks, plowing the gravel away as he comes to our little mounds of gravel. And he's yelling what I assume are obscenities at us. Now, we did not hang around to find out exactly what kind of wisdom he was imparting at that moment. And we avoided the train the rest of the day. But the deal was, it never dawned on us that putting gravel on the tracks could derail the train. And I can honestly tell you, we never thought of all the the carnage that would happen if the train left the tracks. But on that day, my friend and I almost caused a train wreck. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone and they use the term train wreck to describe something or someone? They say, he's a train wreck. Or she's a train wreck. Or their marriage is a train wreck. Have you ever had that conversation? It's a pretty common phrase in our vernacular today. 23-time Olympic gold medalist Michael Phelps, in an interview with ESPN, was talking about his life following his 2012 retirement from swimming. He said he was struggling to figure out who he was outside of the pool. Listen to what he told ESPN. I was a train wreck. I was like a time bomb waiting to go off. I had no self-esteem, no self-worth. There were times where I didn't want to be here. It was not good. I felt lost. I felt lost. A train wreck. Michael Phelps' life had gone off the rails, and he, by his own definition, his life was a train wreck. A train wreck is a verbal picture of destruction. It's a picture of carnage and disaster. And through this series, Trainwreck, we're going to teach you how to actually train wreck a number of significant areas in your life. 
Now, some of you may be scratching your head going, why would I go to church to learn how to wreck my life? Right? Some of you go, I'm already pretty good at that. Well, here's why. There are so many of us that when we look at the way we live or we look at how we behave, it's almost as if we're headed for a train wreck, and yet we don't have the first clue that it's about to happen. What I want to do in this series is to teach you how to train wreck your life, and when we do this in the context of church, you may see some similarities in your own life, and I believe It's going to be incredibly obvious for some today that they're actually headed for disaster. They're actually headed toward a train wreck. When we see it for what it is, then we're going to look at some good and godly insights from Scripture. And I believe that God will use it to impact a whole lot of our lives. Today may be a wake-up call for a lot of us. So to start this whole message, I want to ask you this question. How many of you at one point in your life were actually closer to God than you are today? I mean, if you were honest, there is a time in the history of your life where you were actually closer to the Lord than you are today. Was there ever a time when you were more passionate about God's Word? You read it almost every day. And when you read it, it spoke to you. It was like nothing else you'd ever read. You were transformed by it. And you came to church, you came early so that you could be on the front row. And you actually brought people with you because you believed that the transformation that you experienced could be something they could experience as well. You were, you were what we would say, on fire for God. But then, somehow, over time, life just happened. And you started to kind of cool on your passion for God. There's a story about a married couple who every time they were seen in their small town riding in their truck, she was always scooted clear over sitting right next to her husband. I mean, it was that way. They, they, whenever they were driving together in their pickup, he would have his arm out and she would be snuggled up to her honey bunny and he would be holding her tight and they would cuddle as they drove. 20 years later, they're on a drive, and the wife is hugging the armrest on the passenger side door. And she turns to her husband, and she says, Honey, what has happened to us? For years, we would cuddle as we drove together, and now, look at us. What has happened to us? And the husband, kind of a quiet man, had a playful little smile come over his face. He said, Sweetheart... I never moved. I never moved. If there is a time in your life where you are closer to the presence of God than you are today, may I suggest that God isn't the one who moved. I believe God is going to use this message as a wake-up call. I believe he's going to use this message in a lot of our lives today as we examine how to train wreck our relationship with him. Now, you can't talk about train wrecking your relationship with God without talking about the concept of drift, of drift. Some of you may remember Steve Idle. Steve Idle preached here a number of years ago. 
He's a great friend of mine. And while he was here, he told a story about the yellow umbrella. Some of you may remember that. He and his wife Jody have four boys, four boys. And when they were all in the elementary age, they went on a vacation to the beach. And Steve told the boys, he said, as they were on their first day at the beach, he said, boys, come here, I want to tell you something. You see that yellow umbrella right down there? And they said, yes. They said, if you find yourself past the yellow umbrella, I want you to get out of the water and come back up here to where mom and I are sitting. Does everyone understand that? And they said yes. And over the course of the day, the boys would be playing in the water, and eventually they find themselves past the yellow umbrella. And they dutifully, to honor their parents, would get out of the water and come back up to where they were and then get back into the ocean again. You know how that happens, right? When you're in the ocean, you get out there, you're having a lot of fun, and before you know it, you're past the yellow umbrella. You don't even realize it, right? You've drifted. It's the sun, it's the beach, it's the water, and before you even have any sense of any movement at all in your life, you realize that you have drifted. There are many people today who have no idea how far they've drifted from the grace and the presence of God. The writer of Hebrews gives us this warning. He says, We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. So that we do not drift away. Here's what I want to do today. As crazy as this may sound, I want to give you instructions on how to make your relationship with God a train wreck. I want to show you how to actually drift away from Him. It is so easy to drift from God, and I want to show you how easy it really is. I want to show you very specifically how to do this. And I say this with as much sarcasm as I possibly can, because this is pointing you in the opposite direction of where you should go. But bear with me. All right, there are five actions, five actions that cause drift. And I want to look at all five of these very quickly. The first one is neglect your time with God. Neglect your time with God. It's really important if you want to drift from God to neglect your time with God. Now, David, writing in Psalm 63, verse 1, he's in the desert of Judah. He writes these words. He says, uh, he says you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. If you want to drift from God, don't do this. Don't don't crave God. Don't seek Him. Don't yearn for His presence. Because that will only make you closer to Him. You have to neglect Him. And by the way, if you want to neglect God, don't enroll in any Bible reading plans. Okay, because the Bible is a, it is a living and active double-edged sword, sharper than any double-edged sword. It has the ability to renew your thinking, change who you are. It speaks to you and it encourages you. It builds up your faith. At all costs, you have to ignore the Bible. And then when it comes to worship, don't ever actually worship. Oh, you can go through the motions, but don't actually worship. If you come to church... Just sit there and look at the lights. Don't let it get into your heart. Think about the music being too loud, okay? 
we're kind of used to that. If you can help it, just don't go to church at all. That's even better. Do like a lot of American Christians. Go once a month. But whatever you do, don't get involved, don't serve, don't pray. If at all possible, ignore God. Neglect your time with him if you want to drift. The second thing to do if you want to drift from God is hang out with the wrong people. Hang out with the wrong people. Now, why is this important? Because it's impossible to live a godly life if you're hanging out with ungodly people. If you want to drift from God, make sure you hang out with some of the most ungodly people you know. And the reason for that is this. They will make you feel a lot better about where you're at spiritually, right? And the other thing is they're going to drag you down. They're going to pull you away from God. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. He says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Bad company does what? Corrupts good character. Don't hang around with people who are faithful in their walk with Jesus if you want to drift. Because they will encourage you in the Lord. They may hold you accountable. They'll probably even pray for you. Instead, try to get around people that ignore Jesus, say lots of bad things, watch a lot of bad stuff, and drag you down. If you want to drift from God, hang around the wrong people. Number three, if you truly want to drift from God, then give in to temptation and do it over and over and over again. Why is that so important? Because I want you to understand that sin is fun. Right? Sin is fun. How many of you would say sin is fun? Okay, those of you that did not raise your hand, you either didn't do it right or you're lying. Okay? Because sin is fun for a while. It's fun until it's not fun. It's fun until it kicks you in the rear end. You know, you know what I'm talking about. There was a party that night and then the next morning. The party seemed to be fun, but the next morning not so much. James says this in James 1, verse 14. He says, But each of you is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Just imagine that you're serving Jesus... And then all of a sudden you're being tempted. And now you're even being, what it feels like, being dragged away. James uses a term here, dragged away. In, in the Greek, it's actually a fishing and a hunting term, which means to lure some, the prey or the game that you're trying to trap or you're trying to, to uh, capture, trying to lure it out from its place of safety. He says you're being lured out by your own evil desire. And then you're being enticed. That word enticed is an interesting Greek word as well. It means to bait a hook. You're being enticed. Just like a fish sees the bait, it doesn't see the hook. You're being lured out by your own evil desire. And then after desire has conceived, what does it do? It gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, James says, it gives birth to death. Desire baits us and then reels us in. When you're tempted, do not fight it if you want to drift from God. Go with it. Tell yourself, well, that's just the way I am. I can't do anything about it, right? These are just the few things that I do to help me cope with this life. 
If you bring God into it, that's fine. But just do this. Ask for forgiveness and then do what you were doing again. God will understand. He knows that you don't have a lot of discipline. Just keep doing it. Above all else, hide your sin. Hide your sin. Rationalize it. Do not tell anybody about it. If you want to drift from God, give in to temptation. I can't believe I'm saying this. Number four, we're almost done. If you want to drift from God, love this world more than you love God. This may be the hardest one. If you want to drift from God, love this world more than you love God. Listen to what John writes in 1 John, the second chapter, verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. That's why you want to fall in love with the world. Because you you don't want the love of the Father in you. If you want to drift from God, the love of the Father in you is going to be a hard thing to deal with. So fall in love with this world. Believe this world is your home. Sell out to the materialism of this world. In fact, if you can get into debt pursuing materialism, that's even better. Because now you have the bondage of debt in addition to materialism. Obsess about the things of this world. You know, for instance, sports. We're kicking off the NFL season, really, today. If you, if there's nothing wrong with sports. It's fun. But if you can obsess over it, it's even better. Some of you are into fitness, and fitness is great. But if you can obsess over fitness, that's awesome. That's awesome. Whatever it is, your favorite hobby. Some of you like extreme uh, crafting or competitive cat photography. You know, whatever it is. Immerse yourself in it so that you have no time to connect with God. If you want to drift, if you want to truly drift, follow people on Instagram and Snapchat whose lives are awesome, okay? So that when you look at them, you go, those people, I hate them. They are so perfect, and my life is so not perfect. If you want to drift from God, love this world and the things of this world and pursue those things instead of loving and pursuing the things of God. Number five. One last thing. If all else fails, fake your Christianity. Just fake that you're close to Jesus. And that is a guaranteed way to make sure that your relationship with him goes nowhere. Listen to what Isaiah says. The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. What does he say here? God says that the people come near him with their mouth and they honor him with their lips. But where are their hearts? They're far from him. And that's exactly what you want if you want to drift from him. You don't have to be incredibly immoral. All you have to do is fake being spiritual. You know the drill. You go to church, you raise your hands in the air, and people sitting near you go, wow, that guy must really love God because he's got his hands in the air. You know. You learn, you put a, you put a Christian bumper sticker, maybe a fish sticker on your car. And you drive around like, praise the Lord. And you learn some of the Christian lingo, right? And then you throw out some of that, you know, when you're around people like, Lord, sanctify me. And people are like, wow. 
And listen, you can fight with your spouse all the way to church, but if you walk in that front door and you go, praise the Lord, hallelujah, brother, you can fool people. If you want to drift from God, then fake your Christianity. Okay, now everybody with me, take a deep breath and exhale. I hope, I hope it's been obvious that I'm being somewhat tongue-in-cheek, sarcastic. I hope that as you hear this and you see this, it can become incredibly obvious to some of us that that we've been drifting from God in some of these areas. Just like moving down the shoreline past the yellow umbrella, we see that we're drifting away, living this way that we've just described, and essentially going towards a train wreck in our lives. Maybe some of you have already seen that wreck happen. This is real. It's real for all of us, even me. I'll never forget a trip Ann and I and Bailey took in 1989 to visit a college roommate of mine in, who was an intern at Willow Creek Community Church outside of Chicago. We went up there. We had uh, about four days, just a great time. One day, though, while my old roommate and I were having this just casual conversation, he asked me this pointed question. He said, how is your quiet time? Now, quiet time is that time you spend in the Word and prayer to try to hear what God has to say to you. Try to learn about his love for you and, and his, uh, his uh, plan for your life. And when he said, how, do, how is your quiet time? I just, I, I knew he was genuinely interested in what my relationship with God was like. But I had no interest in answering that question. And so I deflected it. I said, well, you know, I'm in the Word all the time. Studying for lessons and sermons. And he goes, hey, I know all about that. I know all about that. He said, but how's your quiet time? The time for you to hear from God. And I still wasn't prepared to answer that, so I deflected it again. I said something like, you know, being in the Bible is so important, you know. Such a platitude that I was speaking from. And he said, I know, it's vital. How's your quiet time? He asked me a third time. And that time I answered him. I said, not very good. I mean, I had all the, the best of intentions to read God's Word and to pray, but I always seemed to get distracted or I'd seem to forget. And then when I would study, I found that I was pursuing the Bible for things to put in a sermon or things to put in a lesson. I wasn't feeding on the living Word of God that would transform my heart and my mind and my soul. I saw just how easy it could be to become a full-time minister who was a part-time follower of Jesus. I'm glad that happened. That question changed my life. Honestly, it absolutely changed my life. I started reading and praying, started reading the Word of God and praying after that, and I've never been the same since. You may be sensing this morning that possibly in your life, you're only a part-time follower of Jesus. Not because you wanted to, but you've just drifted. Because there was a time when you were closer to Jesus than you are today. Maybe you realize that you've been drifting. 
now you may be feeling what we call conviction. i got to do something about this, and that's a good thing. That means that you're hearing the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. It's, if that's in you, you should be encouraged. So what do we do when we recognize that we've drifted, that, that this issue may be relevant for us? Well, Jesus talks in Revelation, the second chapter, verses 4 and 5, and he has some very stern and strong words for the church at Ephesus. He says, yet I hold this against you. That's pretty strong. You have forsaken the love you had at first. He says, you have forsaken the love you had at first. You knew this love that God had for you, but you've forsaken that love. And then he goes on in verse 5, and he says this, Consider how far you have fallen. Consider how far you have fallen. Maybe that's what some of us need to do today. Maybe even right now. Consider how far you were over here when you first came to know him. Or maybe after you've been discipled for a while, you were really tight with him. And then where you are today, and you look at the distance and the differences in those two lives, and you realize, man, I have drifted from him. Jesus then gives the remedy to to the Ephesians. Look what he says. Repent and do the things you did at first. Repent and do the things you did at first. Repent's kind of an interesting word. It's not a word that we use a lot in our vernacular today. But it's made up of two pieces, and I think it's important to understand. The first was, is the re part, and it means to turn. And the second part is the pent part, which means to go back to the highest. Wherever I'm headed... Wherever I'm headed, I'm turning around and I'm going back to that which is highest. I'm turning back to God. I'm going to do what I did when I first started following because that's when I burned white hot for God and his word. I shared my faith all the time. I prayed a whole lot more than I do now. Worship wasn't an option for me. It's who I was. It's where I belonged. It's what I did. It was a response to the grace of Jesus in my life who saved me, a person who was lost and dead in my sin. My response was to Jesus, take all of my life, everything that I have to give you, I give to you, and I want you to know, I want to know you and pursue you, and I want you to be first. Nothing less in my life but serving you with all of my heart. If you want to do that, all you have to do is repent. Turn and go back to the highest point. Now, let me redeem this message, if you will. I want you, those of you who are taking notes, to ignore that, that last line there that has blanks in it for a second. And I want you to go back to your outline, and I want you to change it. First, what I want you to do is change the header to five actions that eliminate drift. They're not ex- this is not exhaustive list, but I want you to change it. And what I want you to do is put the word don't in front of them. So the first one is don't neglect your time with God. The second is don't hang out with the wrong people. Number three, don't give in to temptation. Number four, don't love this world more than you love God. And then number five, don't fake your Christianity. You see, some of us 
today have realized something we didn't really know was going on, that we've been slowly drifting in our relationship with God. Remember, God has never moved. He's always the same. And when you draw near to Him, He always draws near to you. So if you've drifted, if you can see the train wreck down the, down the rails of your life, now's the time to repent and start doing the things you did when you first came to Him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You. I praise You for Your grace. I recognize God today, as I've been thinking about this over the course of several weeks, that what your desire is, that we would be close to you so that we can learn from you and grow in you and and we can understand the love that you have for us. Lord, you have so much that you want to pour into our lives. So I pray, God, that we would do everything in our power to stay as close to you as we possibly can. Lord, I know that there are some in here who feel, man, this this really is true for me. I've drifted. I want to pray for them, Lord. I want to encourage them to repent and turn around the direction of their lives, to own their sin, to recognize they're the one that, that committed that sin and apologize to you for it. And recognize those failures are also forgiven by you. And God, I pray that they thank you for that forgiveness. And Lord, help them then to begin to do the things they did when they first came to you, when they were at their highest point in their relationship with you. God, I pray for those here today that they don't don't think they've ever drifted. They'd say they didn't really ever know you. They've never been forgiven by you. Lord, I pray today they would do what we've talked about that they would acknowledge you as their Lord and they would turn from their evil, wicked ways and begin moving toward you, confessing you as Lord, laying down their life in a watery grave of baptism, surrendering their life to you as their Lord and their Savior. Lord, I pray for courage for all of us to do what we need to do to get back to you. We realize spiritually we've moved past this yellow umbrella in this life and it is a warning sign to us. We need to get back to where we started. So Lord, help us to get out of the waters of this world and walk back up the beach towards you. Start doing the things that we did when we first came to you. God, we praise you. We thank you for your unending grace. God, we love you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. If that's you, and you want to share that decision with someone, hey, I've been drifting, or I've never taken that step before, I never knew God cared about me. I want to have a relationship with Him. Whatever the case is, we're going to sing and worship Him, and I want to invite you to come. There are going to be some folks down front here that love to pray with you. They'd love to talk to you if you have a need. Let's stand together. Let's worship Him. Come if you have a desire.